Wow, thank you. This is great. I feel, I feel so relaxed, don't you? I feel like it's, uh, it's just a summer night, evening, and I just feel relaxed. Uh, worship was great. I love that joy idea. I feel like, you know, if you, if you were like, uh, if you've ever been to Israel and you've been to where Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount, that wasn't his title, actually, but that's what we call it, the Sermon on the Mount, and just how relaxed that must have been when he was doing that, like just talking and it wasn't like, okay, we got to get you out of here. We got another service. You know, it wasn't that kind of rush. And the kids, you know, and the nursery workers, it was this pastoral, relaxed. And I just feel that way. I'm really grateful. I don't always feel that way. And then I love that. I love that um, going back into your past, into the memory. I love that stuff, you know, because everything we do in the present is based on memory. And so, and your subconscious records every event of your life. And so to allow, not just to go back there on your own, but to allow the Spirit to take you back, because the Spirit is outside of time, but to just walk you back through things. And I w- it's funny how these thoughts come to your mind. I was walking around today, in the, because it's sunny, and, uh, and I was walking around, and I, I was thinking of the subconscious for different reasons, and memory, and how, you know, like Donna, we were doing this thing yesterday and Donna, or Friday night, and Donna was leading this finger, like, just think back in your memory when you were little and where's the first time you experienced joy? Very similar to what we just did. is beautiful. And I remembered second grade. And, and I was thinking about the subconscious. And the subconscious is like, have you ever been watching uh, like a police um, movie or show that I came from the police department? And you know those movies, it's like, and they're trying to figure out what happened, and there's like a, a, a homicide or a crime in this place, and they have surveillance footage, but it's never good. You know, it's never good enough. It's like, we, yeah, we spent $5 million on surveillance, and it's blurry, you know, or, or we don't really do it, or something like that. But they, eventually, there's, you know, they'll have a CCTV, and they're looking at it, and, and the technician's looking at it, and all through the program, it's like, yeah, I'm just looking at this we got to be missing something. You know that? And they're looking at it again and again. And then this one person, somehow, I'm just going to look at it one more time, right? They've usually been drinking. I don't know why. They're like, you know, they're sitting there. It's late at night. I'm just going to look at it one more time. And then they see it. The thing that the technician who's trained to see it can't see, this person sees it. He's like, wait. He calls it. Look, can you enhance that? Because I don't know. The technician never thought about that, right? (laughs) Oh, that's right. We can enhance. Yeah, I know. Okay. And can you enhance that? And you're like, yeah, no, to the right. Yeah, yeah. Right there, right there. Go in. Go in further than that. Like, how far? Is that a, in, the re, in the reflector of the car's taillight? There, right there. Is that an image? And they're looking and say, closer. Go in closer. What is that? Is that cell mitosis? Bring it out. Bring it out a little bit further like that. Okay, right there. That's a face. The technician missed it, you know. He was over here. I don't know what he was looking at. The license plate. I don't know. It's a face. And like, no, it's not just a face. He's holding something. His driver's license. <laughs> you know? And you're like, how did they miss this? And then, oh, it's, no, it's a change of address from his old driver's license to the new one. And then they go, and then they solve it. And you're like, gosh, those cameras are incredible. The technician is fired, but, the, but that's how your subconscious is, and your subconscious is looking at your past, 
And actually, you have the capacity to zoom in. But we, do, we often won't or don't because we're afraid or there's something back there that scares us. And so we won't go back there and zoom in on stuff. And, but in fact, if you do, there's quite a lot of healing in that. To zoom in there, like, no, no, because fear inhibits us always. I can't think about that. Because there's something there that you haven't seen. That's the beauty of memory. God doesn't, God remembers things, not to accuse, but to remind you that he was with you that day and you didn't know it. Oh, no, I was there. Like there, I was there, and then what, then what happened from your perspective? And that's what the, where healing comes from. And so I was thinking about that, and then uh, talking to Alex last week about being here, and what an honor to be here. I really, I'm really happy to be here. It's an honor. And uh, I've never done this before, but I actually, I actually feel like I have two words for you. Not, this isn't usually how I do this, but two words that have just been sticking in my mind. And even before Alex talked to me, and he's telling me, you know, the series and what you're doing. I'm like, oh, my gosh, those are the two words. They're in my mind. So I just want to talk about those two words. Um, and then, and then the, 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 there's a baptism after. I think this will flow right into the baptism as the Lord often, like, orchestrates things like that. So the two words. I should probably get out my glasses. There we go. Um, two words that came to my mind. And both words begin with P coincidentally. They happen to. Um, but the first word, because this is a new work here, a new, God has invited a new thing to happen here, which I love. I love new stuff. And so he's invited you here to be in this area with these people out here who need you. And it's going to take new thinking and new ideas and creativity. And so the word, the one word that comes to my mind for you is the word pioneer. Now, I've talked about the word pioneer before, but not in the context I want to talk about it right now. So this word pioneer, uh, uh, last year uh, someone asked me if I would come talk on the word pioneer, and I didn't think it was in the Bible, you know? I don't think of the Bible as a book about pioneers, but it is in there. It's in there four times in the New Testament, and it's obviously not the word pioneer. It's the word archetype, or like first cause. First, to be the first cause of something, right? To live a life that's causal. That's not how most of us live. Most people live reactionary lives. You react to causes upon yourself. Um, and, and that's a horrible way to live, but that's how most of us live. But to be a pioneer means that you're causal. So there's two qualities of a pioneer. One, pioneers are not afraid to die. To be a pioneer means you're not afraid to die because to be a pioneer, you're probably not going to make it. That's usually what they're known for, you know? Are you a pioneer? Yeah, well, we're sorry. Because yeah, a lot of you aren't going to get to wherever you're walking to because they're normally walking there. And, um, and so that's one is they're not afraid to die. But the second is they're causal. They're causal. And so I was speaking on this word causal in another place. And, um, and I, I, I was talking about, like, don't be reactionary, be causal, be the first cause. And when you're in a conversation with a person, don't go into conversations to be reactionary to people. Go into conversations to be causal. Like, to be the first, be something generative and creative. 
Don't just be reactionary, you know, like this, this formulaic reactionary. That's how everything is running right now, is just reaction to them. No one's causing anything. Everyone's just reacting to everybody else in fear. And then you get separation and the whole thing. And so to be causal, and I was talking about this idea, be causal. Jesus, it says, is the author, the pioneer, the cause. He's the, he's the cause and the finisher of our faith. In Hebrews 12, Jesus is the cause, the author, and the perfecter of our faith, which is the things that we hope for. Faith is the substance of what you hope for. Like, don't get super religious on this. Faith is the substance of things you hope for. It's the evidence of things that you can't see yet that you want to see one day. Then be the cause of it. Be the cause of it. You're the cause of it. What's going to happen here? We don't know. You're the cause. You're here. That's, it hasn't happened yet. Why? Because you're not here. And so, the, I, so, so I, I was talking about, don't, don't say because. That's reactionary. Say because-al. Because, and I kept saying that, and this person gave me a T-shirt the next day that it said "Just be causal," which I thought was cool. But I, when I wear it around, people are like, "Yeah, we're relaxed too," because they think it says casual. Like people, they're like, "Yeah, cool, we're relaxed," you know. And I'm like, I don't wear it anymore because. It's like I got a T-shirt from here from someone that says, you know, upper left. You know that T-shirt? Which I think is awesome, but I was wearing it at this thing in Tennessee. And they would look at it going, are you a social? What are you, a socialist? (laughs) Like, what? You know, left. What are you? Like, the left side of the country. Like, the left. And they're like, we know. Like, uh, And then this one lady goes, oh, I love Boston. And I was like, no. (laughs) You know, don't wear t-shirts that people have to think. Because people don't, they're not causal, they're reactionary to stuff. So be causal. So you're causal. So Jesus, two times in Hebrews it says Jesus is causal. Hebrews 12, he's the author and perfecter of our faith. And then Hebrews 2.10, which is even more powerful than that, is it says that he's the cause of our salvation. He's the cause of our salvation. And this is the context of how it says it. It says that Jesus became flesh in order that he could die, in order that he could take take away the power of death from the one who held it, who is the devil, Satan, So Jesus became the cause of our rescue. He wasn't reacting to anything. He was the cause, and this is what he did. He didn't didn't take away death in the sense of we don't die, we do. He turned death into eternal separation. He changed it from that into transformation. So when you die... You don't die, you, that dies, and you are transformed to a whole nother thing. It's called resurrection. Before that, when you died, wow. But after Jesus took care of that, you die to another level. 
which means you shouldn't be afraid to die. Right? Because people who are causal are not afraid to die. That's why they're causal, because you cannot die. Old things die, the false dies, but you never die. The true you lives. The false you dies, thank God, die, die. But the true you lives, thank God, live, live. Be causal, be causal. Only the true you can be causal. Only your true identity can be causal. The old identity is a victim. The new identity is a victim because they're doing these things to me. But the pioneer is causal. We don't care what they're doing. We're here to bring new things. That's you. Baptism is dying and coming up causal. That's what it is. Dying to reactionary, false self, down and up and new and causal. What a life. What are you doing tomorrow? Causing something I don't know. We'll know, but I'll tell you one thing. I'm not reacting to anything. I'm causing things. That's, that's what this says. And then Jesus, when he did that, he, took a, he set us free, it says, from the bondage, not of death. Death is a promotion. Death is a transformation. He set us free from the bondage of the fear of death. That's what kills us, the fear. The fear, you can't die. Yeah, but I'm still afraid that I could. And you know what that makes me? Reactionary. Because what if it doesn't work? Reactionary. Then you have to self-promote and self-protect all the time. Why? Because I could die. They could reject me. They could think I'm stupid. So I just have to react. And try and adjust and fit in. When you could belong, because causal people belong. They don't fit in anywhere. They belong everywhere. Why? Because they're causing things to happen. That's you. That's here. Why are you here? Be causal. That's why we're here. That's one word. Pioneer. I love that word. Then this other word, though. This other word, this is a newer word to me, and I kind of knew the definition of it just as a result of things that we're going through in our life. Currently, Don and I, things that where, where God has put us in situations where he's asking us to be causal in things that we don't know anything about. Have you ever read a story in the Bible where God puts people in a situation and they're like, what are we doing here? Is that anywhere? Have you ever read that? It starts in Genesis. It's the whole, basically, story of the whole thing. It's like, be causal. So I'm going to put you in a place where you can cause things to happen. You, invited by God to cause things to happen. What a life. It's called being more than a conqueror. That's what it is. Why? Because nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Not life nor death. It's done. By who? 
our first cause did it. Now we are the cause. So let's go. And so God puts us in these positions. And we were down in Los Angeles two weeks ago in this awkward position. I don't have time to explain that awkward position. However, in this thing that I thought the Lord wanted me to do with this guy, he, in the conversation, I don't know if you've had this, the person is saying technical words to me about his vocation. I don't know anything about what he's talking about. And I feel like the Lord is going, okay, now do your, say it. Like, I don't know, I don't even know what he just said. doesn't matter. You're the cause. Stop reacting to what he said. And he's saying these words. He goes, and the guy goes to me, he says a term, a technical term. He goes, do you know what that means? I don't, and I got reactionary. I was like, yes. Why did I do that? The Lord's like, why are you? And I said, and, you know, then I tried to think because, you know, I've been trained, well, trained by the government. Like, okay, how do I get out of this? And I just thought, yeah, because if I didn't know what that mean, I'd, you know, it's funny. These devices, I could go, hey, Siri, what the heck did he just say? And then I would see the definition of the word. He's like, yeah, there it is. He's like that. But the whole time I just felt uncomfortable and the Lord was pushing me and I came back. Donna was with me. And we came back to the hotel after that whole thing, 90 minutes of that, and I was troubled, and, uh, and some other stuff was happening back in Seattle, all going on. And I go to bed, and I say to God, like, I don't know what to do. I, I, I honestly don't know what to do, which is called confession. That's confession. Confession's not this. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. He never, Jesus never looks at people and goes, I need an apology right now. He never says that to anybody. You ever notice that? I don't know how we got into so much saying we're sorry about stuff. Jesus never looked at anyone. I, I, I need to hear I'm sorry from you guys before we can continue. He never, say you're sorry. Say you're sorry to John. Like that, he doesn't do that. That's our invention. But confession is just truth telling. Truth telling, which we never do. We'll say we're sorry. We just won't tell the truth. So here's the truth. I don't know what, God, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know. I don't understand. Will you speak to me? Repentance is God then telling you the truth so that you think in a new way. It's not like, I'm sorry, confession. I'm sorry back, repentance. We've turned all these words into, I'm sorry. It's you tell the truth, and I'll tell you why what you just said isn't right. It's false. You're, you don't understand. I know. I don't. What? And so I, I, I pray that. I say that. And then I fall asleep because I was listening and, you know. And I, uh, I wasn't that stressed out. And, then, and so I'm asleep. And all of a sudden, I've never had this happen before. I hear, like, it wakes me up. <laughs> Mark 12. Like, just the reference. And Mark, I mean, you know, Ephesians, uh, that would wait. Philippians, Mark, 12, I, that's way into Mark. Mark 12. So I wake up and I think, wow, Mark 12. Hmm, that was loud. And so um, I'm like, okay, I'm going to remember Mark 12. I fall back asleep. Again, after some amount of time, I don't know, Mark 12. I wake up, Mark 12. Mark 12, got it. I didn't feel like Mark 12 now. I just felt like later, Mark 12, you know? And I was like, I got it. I got it. Got it. <laughs> and so I go back to sleep, and I wake up in the morning, and I tell Donna, I got to read more. We got to read Mark 12. So I read Mark 12, 
And it was um, unbelievable. It was like everything I needed to know about what was happening is in Mark 12. Who'd have thought? And so I read Mark 12. I'm going to share it with you here in a second. Mark 12. And so my first word for you and, and what you're doing here at Saints Hill is you are pioneers. You are first causes out there. New ideas, new ways of thinking about business, new ways of thinking about sharing the kingdom. All new. Don't imitate anybody. Don't be like anybody else. Be causal. Right? You're not, another, you're not, a, you're not like imitating another church. Or something. Be, be who you are in your unique identity. Right? Be causal. Here's the second word. So the second word, it comes out of Mark 12, but I didn't know, I, like I read all of Mark 12. I've meditated on Mark 12 for my own direction. And there's a phrase in there, and I was trying to think, what is the word, if I just had one word for that, that went along with pioneer. It would be nice if it was a P word. But if it went along with pioneer, and, um, but what is that word, and it has to do with Something with a vineyard. So this is before I, I, I talked with Alex. Something to do with a vineyard. I know it has something to do with vineyard because Mark 12 is about, starts with a vineyard. So what is that word? And I'm thinking of the process. And um, then I find this word, this particular word. And I can't pronounce it, which is a bummer. And so we were down at a, a university for graduation, which is on Thursday, which is where I'm going to lead to, believe it or not, in this barrage of information. And, I, and the guy I'm talking to is really, he says, you know, I'm pretty good with languages. That he teaches languages, I guess. And so he's a professor. And I said, okay, what's this word? And he looks at it. He looks at it. He says, I think that's pig's age. Pig's age, pig's age. And I said, it's a French word. It's not pig's age. <laughs> he goes, pig's age. That's what it looks like, pig's age to me. And I said, it's a French word. It's a process. He goes, what is it, a process for barbecue? I'm like, are you good at languages? He said, not French. Well, that's his word, pig's age. The word is pijajaj. Do you know what that word means? Pijaja. Pijaja, not pig's age. Don't go to that college, by the way. I told that guy, I'm going to say that you said that to me. And he said, well, that's plagiarism. And I said, well, only if I give credit that it came from you, which I, I'm going to do. Then he withdrew the plagiarism charge. But I'll tell you if you want to know who that is. So pijaja. Pijaja, that's the word. That's, it's a French word. Pijaja. Pioneer and pijaja. That's who you are. Those two words. Pijaja is the word that means when you're making wine, in the winemaking process, when the, when, the, when the husks of the grapes come up to the top and they settle on the top and they can, they can get stuck there. They form like a a kind of um, solid there, and it can ruin the wine. And so pijaja, it means to punch down, to punch down so that the, the wine is mixed fully and the real wine can come forth. Because what will stop the real wine is if it separates from itself. Do you know what kills us? 
is when we separate from ourselves and the false becomes the top crusty layer and the real you is stuck beneath it. And the process of stopping that is God punching down on you, pressing down on you, pushing down on you, pressuring you. So the old will die and the true will live. And you can be a first cause then. Pioneer Pijaja. Pioneer Pijaja. You cannot be a pioneer without Pijaja. You cannot. So, so that pressing down part, like that's it. Like that part, that part that we don't want, that we don't like, that part. Jesus said, you're not going to die. I took away death. But things in you do need to die for the real to true to come up to the top. All the t- it's, otherwise, it's just this fake going on all the time, this false Self-protection, self-promotion, self-protection, self-promotion. That's all how everybody talks. It's what we teach our kids. When you go through life, you better learn to self-protect and self-promote, or the whole world is just going to run you over. And they can't be first causes. They can only be reactionary with that thinking. What can I do? Because now I'm a victim. I can only be a victim. It's always someone else's fault. So that pressing down is very beautiful. It's almost like if we really understood it, we would say to God, press down. I'm asking you, press down. Baptize me. Do you know what baptize means? It means to throw under. It was a term my training officer used to use. And trust me, he was not a pastor. And his thing was, oh, I'm going to baptize you tonight. That's what he would say. And it wasn't like, yay. You know, it was like, really? Again, didn't we baptize last night? Yes. We're going to baptize you every day. It means to throw you into a situation where you're pretty sure you're going to die. Do you know why? So you can come up unafraid. And you're never afraid there again. That's baptism. Yeah, that's what, baptize me, come on. I would get baptized tonight just to be a first cause again. Because we lose it. Baptize me. Come on, pioneer. So that pressing down. So I like six months ago, you know, we work on this all the time, but it's so quick. The pressing, the pressing is there. The pressing down, and it's, it's a, we call it triggering. It's God saying, how does that feel? Does that scare you, that pressure? Does that, no, don't press. Don't push me. I'm looking for comfort. And, and I, so I was at this thing. We were at, I was speaking at this thing in another city, and I was, it was, there was a, a couple leading off, and it was in a big, it was in a big venue, more than a thousand people, pretty, you know, high profile thing. 
And I was going to do kind of the main part, and the couple introducing me were well-known well people, and they had just written this book. <laughs> you can get the book. I'll advertise it for them right now. It's called Vertical Marriage. Now, it hadn't come out yet when, they were, when we were at this thing, but it's out now. And they've been on the Today Show and all this stuff, all this unimportant stuff, in my view. But um, I know the guy really well. Yeah. And so he, he's a good friend of mine, actually. And so they're first. They're up there, him and his wife, Dave and Ann. Dave and Ann. And, and, I'm, and I'm, they're just going to introduce me, but they start talking about vertical marriage. And, and they're, I'm looking at them like, they are a good-looking couple. You know, here I can start to feel like, ugh. That's a good-looking couple. Do you know how when you're looking at people, you're like, I'll never be like that. You know? That, like, that is a good-looking couple. And Dave and Ann, those are the right names. Dave and Ann. Yeah. And they have a vertical marriage. And I start thinking, well, first of all, my name is Jamie. Like, what? <laughs> Jamie? Do you ever hate your name? I hate my name. I, w I wish my name was Dave. <laughs> Jamie, I'm like, then I was mad at my dad. Oh, I mean, this is all in an instant. And my dad, you know why? Because my brother, my brother's name is Robert Winton Winship III. My younger brother is Eric Charles Winship I. I'm Jamie, and I have no middle name. <laughs> Jamie Winship. It's like, Dad, you're a big beginner and finisher. What happened in the middle? Like, what happened? Like, you just didn't care. Like, it was too much effort, a middle name, anything. No? Jamie. And what is Jamie? It's not even in our family. He's like, I don't know. I was busy, you know. And, then, and so I'm thinking, like, I'm mad at my dad. I haven't even, I'm going to speak next. I'm mad at my dad. I, don't, I hate my name. Then I start wondering, do, I, do me and Donna have a vertical marriage? I don't know what it is, but I'm pretty sure we don't have that. And so Donna's not even with me. That's how vertical we are. That's how. And so she's in another city. So I text her, Donna, because I'm feeling incredibly insecure. Because it's like a domino effect, you know? Once you start into the false, it's like, it's all. There, here we go. And where was my mom? Like, anyway, it doesn't matter. But so I, I text Donna, Donna, do we have a vertical marriage? I just texted her. Do we have a vertical? Well, how would you describe our marriage? Do we have a vertical marriage? This is how funny Donna is. She goes, who is this? That's funny. Isn't that funny? <laughs> who is this? Oh, you're hilarious. And I said, no, funny. Dave and Ann. Dave and Ann have a vertical marriage. Do we have a vertical marriage? Donna says, ours is more perpendicular, I think, would be the... <laughs> shape of ours, more like, is that what it is, or parallel or something, but it's not vertical. And so I get, I, I'm, it's weird, I feel so insecure going up there after them. You get competitive, you know? You know you get competitive because we get our identity from what other people think about us, right? And what we have and what we do, that's where you get identity from, right, really. Because that's why when we're watching stuff, we're like, wow. Wow, if I could do that. If I could write a book on marriage, I would, then I would be an expert on marriage, right? And if it sold a lot, I'd be a real expert. But I, I haven't even thought about writing a book. Not on anything. Not marriage. Nothing. And so when I get up there, 
because I know Dave and Ann really well, and, and, I, and Ann, Dave is like the chaplain for an NFL team. Of course he is. Of course he is. I've been to one NFL game. He's the chaplain of the team, and his wife, she's like this fitness person. She probably does a Christian aerobics, not just aerobics. She probably does Christian aerobics, different, and I think, Donna, what is, I mean, I don't do aerobics. Donna does yoga. I can't talk about yoga in a Christian venue, yoga. You know, people think yoga, it's like, that's not even Christian, is it? It's like stretching and breathing. What does God have to do with stretching people and breathing into people? Nothing. That's yoga. That's not spiritual. So I don't have anything to talk about, and I get up there. I even forget the subject, and I get up there, and this is how I start. I'm not kidding. You can watch this. It's out there forever. <laughs> and I get up there, and Dave is well, he, he introduces me, you know, because he's like, yeah, and here's Jamie, and you know, he's married to Donna, and they're great. And I come up there, and I go, yeah, me and Donna have a really good marriage. That's like, I'm not, it's not my topic, <laughs> but I have to say that. Why do I have to say that? I'm not being causal. I'm being totally reactionary. We have a really good marriage. See, now, Dave, if he was a really good friend, he was, he's kind of a good friend. He's now just an acquaintance to me, but he was. He, he, does, he could just get off the stage and realize Jamie's struggling. But he goes, oh, you do? He comes back on. Oh, you do? Do you? Yeah, you, yeah. What's the key, he says to me, to your good marriage? Now he knows I'm in trouble. He does. And I said, well, we, we base our marriage on the three C's. I wish Donna would have been there, because I would have looked at her, and she would have been like, the three C's? Dave's like, the three C's? What are the three C's? And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Well, communication's pretty high. This is my wife. Who, who is this texting me? That's our communication level. Communications, number one. Number one is communication in our perpendicular marriage. <laughs> he could have stopped. Dave could have stopped right there. No, and I'm out of, I'm in trouble. He goes, really, are there, what are the other C's? The other C's? And I'm like, wow, C's. Consumerism is a big one in our marriage. Watch this. Watch this. You can watch this on line. Consumerism, I say. <laughs> but then I started thinking, actually, that is one of them. That is a big one. That's a big part of our marriage is consumerism. <laughs> but then he decides not to ask me the third seat, which is good because he knew I have nothing. Consumerism was your number two. I don't even want to know what the third C is. You know what was in my mind? I'm not kidding. Communism was in my mind because of my upper left t-shirt memory. That's what holds our perpendicular marriage together. Communication, consumerism, and communism. Thank you very much. So after all of that with disaster was over with, isn't it funny how quickly you compare yourself to other people? Like, like it's, it's, so, it's so built into us. And we don't know how to be our true identity because we're, we're always comparing ourselves to somebody else. We're trying to make our marriage like somebody else's marriage. We're trying to raise our kids like somebody else's kids. You know, because that's just, that's how we're conditioned from the time we're young. You're not good enough. Who do you think you are? 
And you just become reactionary. That's what you do. So what does God do with that? He presses down on that. Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12 goes like this. It's a beautiful passage. It starts, it's the first parable Jesus tells. Mark chapter 12. And this is, what I, this is when we get out of here, when we go out tonight. I want you to think clearly about this. Pioneer, pijaja. Pioneer, pijaja. First cause, press down. Press down, poured out like a drink offering and alive to the new because the old is dying and the new is coming and God is pressing down. Pijaja, Lord, press down so I can be a first cause and get out of this fake, false self, fear-filled, guilt-filled, shame-filled self. Press down, push past the false, crush it out and squeeze out the real wine, the real me, the true me, the true you. Mark chapter 12 says this. It says, Jesus is telling the story, and he says, there's a man. There's a man who planted a vineyard. This is God. God planted a vineyard. He planted it. He built a wall around it to protect us. He put inside the vineyard, besides the plants that he planted, he put a watchtower do you know what watchtowers for? It's so that you can go up in the watchtower and see everything that's really happening. Not hiding down in your own little introspective reactionary world, talking to yourself and scaring yourself. But up into the watchtower where you can see what's true. What is true in the world? We don't know. We're too afraid to look. We just listen to stories. Oh, my gosh. But a watchtower. And when you're in the watchtower, the watchtower in Scripture is a place where you can meet God. You have the mind of Christ as your watchtower. You have the mind of Christ. How can I be a first cause? You have the mind of Christ to think about this stuff. Why are you just reacting to it based on what other people say and think? Die to this. Press it down. Baptize me, Pijaja. And, and, and you have a watcher. And then right in the middle is the press, the wine press. There it is. Who put that press there? Who put that pressure there? Who put, not the enemy. Oh, no. Who put that place there that's going to make you be who you really are? Not the enemy. God did. You look at that press. How do we become a first cause? Bijaja. Press down like a drink offering, but not destroyed. Raised again to the new, higher form. Every time you go in, die, raised again. In, die, raised again. Run to the press. Run to the press. When you don't know, go into the watchtower. What is going on? Look around. Where's the enemy? Right there. It's not that person. It's not that person. The enemy's out there. We have one enemy. Not people. Not, not political parties. There's the enemy, the real enemy. Get in the watchtower and see what's true and real, not what's in your mind. And in that vineyard, you're growing, you're harvesting 
fruit. Like, that's the whole picture. God put you there. Should we be afraid there? No, he built a wall around it for you. What are you afraid of? Do you feel unprotected? Go up in the watchtower in the mind of Christ and look around. You are protected. You are protected. You are not going to die. The old will die, but the new will come. But any man who is in me will never die. You cannot lose. You cannot lose. Shall we not drink the cup the Father has given us? Why? Because when we do, we win. But don't drink that cup. If you don't drink that cup, you're a reactionary, fear-filled, separated from yourself. And you don't win. You're stuck and alone. That's what you think. It's all false. That's Mark chapter 12. That's the beginning picture. And then you're in that. You have a vineyard. Everyone in this room has a vineyard that was given to you by God. And he's like, here it is. Enjoy. It's like Genesis 1. There it is. Enjoy. Do it. Enjoy. But don't get stuck in the false. Press down. Let Press down. Change, transform. Don't be in things that never change. Don't be in groups that never change. Don't be in places that never change. Why? Because our pioneer is the author of transformation. If, if, if Jesus came into my group and said, hey, this looks like the same people that were here last year. There's no new people. Well, we don't feel safe with new people. Do you think that Jesus go, I get that. You don't feel safe with new. No, we, we just want to go deep with each other. This is what happens. So the owner of the vineyard sends people to the vineyard. Hey, go down to Jamie's vineyard. He's got some stuff going there. Tell him to give it to you, to give it away. And they call me into my vineyard like, I'm not giving this away. This is for me. This isn't about people. This is for me. And we beat up the servants that come to carry what we've produced in our true identity out to a lost world. No. This is for me. And then the, the, the owner sends more. Then he sends his own son and they kill him. Wow. What are you doing in that vineyard? What do you do? Who is it for? Who is your vocation for? Who, who are your finances for? Who is it for? When God says he wants part of it, you give it away. Why? Because he planted it and he protected it. And, the, and, and, the, and 12, Mark 12 moves down right from there into this question that the Pharisees ask, like, yeah, but what about taxes? Isn't that funny? You're in a vineyard. It's, you have a watchtower. You're protected by God. Make sure you don't hold it for yourself. Give it away. Not all of it. It says they come for some. Give some of it away. It's for you. It's for them. It's for all of you. Give it away. Let it grow. Press down. You're transformed. Give it away. 
And this is their question. Yeah, but what about taxes? And I was reading this. It was April 15th when I was working through this passage. It was weird. I was like, wow, tax advice. Here we go. And here's, here's, here's what it is. You know the question, do we pay taxes to Caesar? And, and, and Jesus says, look, what's on the coin? You know, it's Caesar. Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar. Here, here's, the, here's how I interpret this. Give to the world what the world it thinks is so important. What does the world think is so important? Self-preservation and self-promotion. That's the most important thing, that my life is protected. That's the most important thing. Give it away. Give it to the world. The world wants that false identity. Give it away. Hand it away. Give it away. All that false, oh, if I could be an American idol, give it away. Let that go. Be who you are. Be who God made you to be. Give it away and give to God the things that are God. And you know what's God's? You are. You are. He wants you. He doesn't care about all that other junk. He wants you. Give that to God. The real you, the causal you, the one he wants to press down and make even sweeter and greater and more valuable, that you. Give it to God and give the rest of it to Caesar. Let him have it. Aren't you sick of it, carrying it around, worrying about it at night? Give it away. Give unto Caesar. Give to the world the things of the world and stop trying to keep that stuff for yourself. Give it away. And then the Sadducees say, yeah, but what about divorce? Really? And not just divorce. Like they get into this complicated theological question about brothers and marrying and divorce. And, and they want to talk about being, listen what they want to talk about, being dead. They want a religion that focuses on being dead. Isn't that interesting? Is religion about what happens because you're dead? Is, our, is that what our faith is about, being dead? Oh, that's what we talk about a lot. What happens when you die? That's the Sadducees' questions because they don't believe in resurrection. What happens when you die? It's weird. They don't believe in resurrection, do you? Do I? I mean, I think in the end, but what if I died? Like, what if I died in my job? What if I died in my reputation? Do you believe in resurrection? What if, I, what if this doesn't work somehow? Can it be raised again? Or is it done? We tried that. It doesn't work. It died. That's the question. What if I have a new idea and I go in and I say it to them and they say, that's the stupidest thing we've ever heard. Do I die there? Because I don't believe in resurrection from that. You don't know how I've been hurt in my life. I died that day. And there is no resurrection from what I've been through. Wow. Jesus, you know what he says to me? He goes, you know what's wrong with you guys? You don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. That's his answer. You don't know the scripture and you don't know the power of God. Where are you getting these ideas from that you have? Some people really know the scriptures and have no idea about the power of God. Pharisees. And some people have ideas about the power of God, but they don't know the scripture. Like what Alex was saying, they just look at the sign like, there it is, there it is. We want that power. We want that power. But why? To give it away. 
to give it away. Is that for you? Know the scriptures and the balance of the power of God. Know them, and you will not be wasting your time with theological debates with one another. There's no time for that. We're first causes being pressed down and spread out into the world. We don't have time to sit in rooms and ask hypothetical theological questions to each other to decide which team we're on. Oh, my gosh. And then he says this. By the way, do you know why God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Because they're alive. Because God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living What happens when you die? I don't know, because I never die. Because I serve the God of the living. And if you knew that, you wouldn't be wasting time on this dead topic. (laughs) You're in a vineyard. You're the first cause. You're a pioneer in a vineyard that God handed you. He's protecting you in it. He's given you access to his mind, his voice, his idea, true identity in the vineyard. He's given you opportunity in the vineyard to die to the old and be raised again to the new all the time. Presenting yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And stop conforming to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll know the excellent way here in this valley and in your job and in your relationships. Be transformed. Let the old die. Let the new come. Be causal. Give to the world what's the world. Serve the God of the living, not the God of the dead. And then he says this amazing thing. Look, here it is. Here it all is. Do this. Love the Lord your God. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor. Love your neighbor in the same way that you love yourself in your true right identity. Don't hate yourself. Don't separate from yourself. Because if you separate from yourself, you'll be separate from God and you will never know your neighbor. They will never be here with us. And it'll just be you alone in your little protected group. Don't do that. Love God. How do we love God? God is love. Love, love. Love God who is love. How do we participate in the love of God? By loving yourself and loving your neighbor. That's how you participate in the love of God. I want to love you, God. What should I do? Go love them. Go love them. And love your son. Do you understand who you are? Do you know your true identity? Let's kill that false one. Get in the press. Let's kill that false one and let the new come out. Don't you love who I made you to be? Yes. Then love them the same way. And then in that, love me. Yes. That's what he says. And then Mark 12 says, and by the way, while you're doing that, all of that, remember that Jesus is the Christ. That's the next thing. Jesus is the Christ. You know what that means? That Jesus isn't this little historical guy running around. That's not. Jesus is the Christ. He is the eternal one. 
He is the before Abraham was. I am. That is Christ. Jesus is what we can image of God. But Jesus is the eternal, all-powerful one that holds all things together. Do you know people, in some of the stuff we're doing, people say, you know, well, we, we want you to talk, Jamie, but we can't really bring Jesus into the room. And I'm like, I'm sorry. He's been here the whole time. Like, like before the foundation of the world, he was here. And, and he's actually holding all of us together, whether you agree with it or not. That's who Christ is. When you say you have the mind of Christ, you're not talking about a guy that lived 33 years and then went back to the Father. You're talking about the mind of the Trinity. Of God. Christ, save us. Christ, save us. Come. That's what you're saying. That's the one we're talking about. That's the one that gave you identity in your mother's womb. That's the one that draws it out you. He is the Christ, the anointed one. Not some little icon. So remember that when you love God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And when you serve the God of the living and not the God of the dead. And when you're giving to the world the things that belong to the world. But give to God you. The real you, the true you. In the vineyard that he gave you. That he protects you in. That he crushes you down in so the false goes away and the new comes. That has a watchtower so you can access the mind of the Christ all of the time, all of the time, 24-7. And then he says, then he says, be careful of the scribes and the way they think. Because what they're interested in is fame and money and the best seats. And everyone looking at them going, wow, they're amazing. And Instagram hits. And social media, that's what they want. Beware. Beware. Beware of this world. And getting your identity from the world, beware. Because as you're getting your identity there, widows are dying. And orphans are perishing while you get famous and popular. Beware. And then he closes out with this. He takes them in and he lets them sit by the offering box. Just to seal this thing out. He goes, watch them. Here they come. The one, the famous ones. They have, and they come and they bring their large sums. It says large sums of money. Why? Because look at us. Look at us. Do you know the books I've read? Do you know what I've done? Look at us. And Jesus is like, are you impressed by that? I'm not. Look at this. Look at this. And there she is, the nameless one. Oh, then the causal. The pishaja. There she is. Pressed down in every way. Crushed down in every way. And there she is, pure identity First cause, there she is. Not this, none of this. Give that to Caesar, this. 
and she drops her two pennies in. And he goes, she gave everything that she is. She gave it all. When I came to her vineyard, she gave it all. I'm putting her out there as a first cause. That. Mark chapter 12. Wake up and read it. Thursday, Thursday, we fly to Phoenix for a graduation ceremony. This is all in my mind. Pioneer, Pijaja, Pioneer, First Cause, Pijaja. Pressed down, squeezed out, old is dead, new has come. And we're watching this kid graduate. This kid, this Palestinian kid, who when we first met him in Jerusalem, this is how he talked about himself. I'm a Palestinian and we have no dreams because we have no future because we have no country. And I am a terrible student. And here are the transcripts from my four years in a worthless, unaccredited college that goes nowhere. And I even failed that. that what's that identity? I am abandoned and all alone. And there is no way out. I have no passport. I have no future. It is over. And God said to me and Donna, take what you have in your vineyard and give it to this guy. Now, right now. And don't you dare send me away because this is going to be a long process with this guy. And so don't tell me you're an introvert and that you need to spend time studying and praying. Give it to him. Now. Now. Start now. Yeah, but Lord, but you don't know how I recharge. I, I, I know how to recharge you. Don't, you don't mess with me on that recharging thing. I'll recharge you right up here with me. Get out there and give this to him. And so three years. And every time I meet with him and I'm like, I'm teaching him about identity and he just doesn't get it. Like how long, how long does Jesus spend with people? Like, I mean, it's like, really, Lord, how long would you? And he's always that eternal thing, you know? It's like irritating. It's like, well, probably forever. Okay. And so, and I would, and I would do listening prayer with him and I'd, (laughs) with all my clever skill and we would pray together. What do you hear? Nothing, nothing. What now? Nothing. And I was like, how about now? Nothing. And I'm like, okay. And he would leave. And I would just be with the Lord like, it's not working. Like, give it away. Give it again. Give it away again. And it's pressing me down. And it's killing the old in me and bringing the new out in me. Give it away. Don't react. Be causal with him. Every day is a new day. Start again. Every day is a new mercy. Start again. Three years. Three years. And then one day he says to me, and you can also listen to me tell the story. He says to me, can Jesus drive a car? And I'm like, nothing has impacted this guy. Can Jesus drive a car? I I don't see any evidence in the scriptures of that. I don't know, I guess. <laughs> the question is, can the Christ drive a car? Oh, yes. 
And his question was because for a Palestinian to get a driver's license in Israel is nearly impossible. And he wanted to know, and could Jesus take him through the process to get a driver's license? I'm like, oh my gosh, really? I want you to, I want to argue about high-level theological concepts. I don't want to know whether Jesus can get you a driver's license like he's the God of the living. I'm talking about the God of the dead. What's going to happen when you die? He's like, I'm more interested in getting a job now than what happens when I'm dead. Because currently I'm in hell, if you haven't noticed. So, yeah, I think he can. Anyway, he goes through this amazing process. and he, It involves an Israeli police officer, an injured cat. It's a long story. But he gets the driver's license because Jesus can not only drive a car, he can rescue a cat with an Israeli policer on the way to getting a driver's license. And when he comes home from that, he's banging on our gate in Jerusalem, and he's holding up the driver's license. Jesus can drive. Jesus can drive. And he's born again. He died to every fear he had of Israeli police and driving and injured animals, all of that. And he's born again. Someone new is at the gate. Someone that's been pressed down and realizes, maybe I'm in a vineyard. Maybe this isn't what I thought. I've been up into a watchtower, and I've looked around, and maybe I'm not trapped here. And maybe I do have a dream. Who did that? The Christ, the God of the living, did that. And I'm transformed because, wow, I never knew you could do that, Lord. And I'm transformed because I gave my little grapes away to him, and he took them to a whole nother level. And we're at his graduation in the United States of America, the bad student, the I have no dreams. And we watch him go across the stage, magna cum laude, public health. There he is. He's walking across. He waves. The Christ can do more than drive a car. He can make a bad student magna cum laude. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed any longer to the bad. Then you'll, and he graduates, and we're down, and we get to this restaurant at 10 o'clock at night. He has this great other Muslim friend who he's led to faith. He has this girl Czech Repu from the Czech Republic that he's sharing the kingdom with, and he's looking at me across the table, and he's going, Jamie, do you know what this means? And I'm like, what, Saleh, Saleh, what, what? He goes, do you know, he said, it's like I used to think I'm a, I was a victim, but I never was a victim, and I go, pioneer. He goes, I just didn't know the way out. There was another way out, first cause, pioneer. But it took God putting me in situations that made me think in a new way. Pijasha, pijasha. And every time I was in that dark place, I could hear his voice in a way that I didn't know he spoke. And I would come out with a new idea on how to get out of the country and get a visa. Pioneer, first cause. And then I got to the U.S., and it fell apart all again, and I had to live in this apartment with no air conditioning in Phoenix, Arizona, and I couldn't stay in there because it was so hot. Pijasha. <laughs> Horrible. Pijasha. <laughs> but then I went, I realized you could complain about this, that the guy was just taking advantage of me because I was a foreigner, and I went and I sat at the city hall, but I didn't know what to do, and this woman out of nowhere walks up to me and goes, 
you look like you need help. First cause. She's from another vineyard. She's sharing her vineyard with you. What can I do to help you, she says. He tells her, she goes, come, I'll show you what to do. He goes back to the the head of the apartment and says, I have a paper from City Hall. Now the landlord's in the piazhash. <laughs> How did you get that? I met a woman. You didn't have to wait in line. We cut through the line. It was a pioneering moment. A different way. He gets all the rent back in cash. He gets free rent for the next month with air conditioning. New way. First cost. And he goes through his whole year like that, and he keeps telling me over and over again, pressed down, killed, raised again, pressed down, killed, raised again, pioneer, pijaja, pioneer, pijaja. Here's, here's what you are. I don't care where, what's going on in your life right now. Get up in the watchtower now. Look around. Thank God for that press that's pressing you. Thank God. Get up there and become a first cause. Baptized again into first cause. Be a first cause. And maybe, maybe one day, like I said to Sally, after all of that, one day you can have a vertical marriage. Thank you very much.